It's good to be with you again during this Advent season. And when we talk about Advent, there's some things we need to know that Advent takes place in the dark. Every week we light a candle. It gets lighter and lighter. And that's supposed to be working in our hearts too. There's not symbols to look at, but there's things to, for us to experience as well as God pours out his spirit. But Advent is a day, a time, a season where we look backwards, we look forwards, but we also look at Emmanuel who's here with us now, standing in our midst. That's what the beginning chapters of the book of Revelation is about, that God is among his churches, the lampstands that are contained. He's not an absent God, he's a here God. But when we look backwards, we say with the church, the Lord has come and gives us confidence. We can look back and we can point that at a certain place, at a certain time, God became flesh and dwelt among us. But we look forward as well and we say with the ancient church, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. But we also need to be awake right now and say, Emmanuel, God is with us. This is a beautiful season. It's a season that we really should treat like Lent, that we check our hearts and we see if there's anything in our hearts that we need to bring to God and confess to God. That's why it's a dark season. That's why the colors are blue, except for that one week of joy, which is this week. But when we look at this Advent season, we burst like Mary into a joyous and triumphant song of praise and adoration for her God. And it's found in Luke chapter 1. Verses 46 to 55, and I'll read it a little bit later on. But the scriptures are full of songs, full of songs from God's people. And one of the primary books that you find songs to sing is the book of Psalms, which is a book of songs. When God begins to move amongst his people, new songs are birthed. New songs are ignited in the hearts of God's people. Miriam sang a song after they crossed the Red Sea and entered into the desert that the horse and rider has triumphed over the sea. God is her God. God is her Savior. Hannah sang a song as she was barren and she was ignited with praise for what God gave her, the son Samuel, and she gave that child back unto the Lord and for the service of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. They have Deborah, a judge, who also burst out in song. And so on and so on. In Luke's gospel, we have Mary's song. A young girl, 14, 16, maybe 16 is a little bit high, maybe a little bit below, 16 and below, where she burst out in song. A song of wonder, a song of joy. A song about the reordering of the world as we know it. God is making everything new. If anyone is expecting a lullaby from the heart of Mary at Christmas time, You missed it. This is no lullaby that Mary burst out in singing. N.T. Wright, who's a New Testament scholar, he notes the following about Mary's song and how it's affected Christendom from the moment that she sang it. Mary's song, he writes, as narrated by Luke, is one of the most famous songs in Christianity. It's been whispered in monasteries, chanted in cathedrals, recited in small remote churches by evening candlelight, and set to music with trumpets and kettle drums by Johann Sebastian Bach. It's the gospel before the gospel. 30 years, or 30 weeks rather, before Bethlehem took place. A fierce, bright shout of triumph 30 uh, years before Calvary and Easter. 
It goes with a swing. It goes with a clap. It goes with a stomp. And people rejoice when they sing it. It's all about God. And it's all about revolution, radical revolution. And it's all because of Jesus. And Jesus has only just been conceived when Mary burst out in song. And as she meets her cousin Elizabeth, the not yet born baby that's in Elizabeth's womb and also in Mary's womb. But Elizabeth's womb, in her womb, is the baby that we will know to be John the Baptist. But he leaps for joy. Leaps for joy. Even in the way the wombs are speaking to each other by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit ignites Elizabeth and his baby inside her. And he leaps for joy at the announcement of his cousin who is the king of kings. And Mary gets a little bit giddy. And excitement and hope and triumph. In many cultures today, it's the women who really know how to dance and sing and celebrate. Like Miriam and Deborah and Hannah and Judith in the Apocrypha books, with their bodies and voices saying things far deeper than their words. Because the joy is the expression that comes forth. If you really love Jesus, it shines within you, the glory of God. It can't contain it, because he is glorious, and he needs to be praised. The song that Mary's song comes across here with real excitement. The singing continues in Luke's gospel. Zechariah say, well, the words have been turned into the song. Simeon's words have been turned into song. The angel singing over the, the shepherds that night has been turned into a song. And these things explode in Luke's gospel. That singing is a part of the excitement that the Messiah has come. The one they had waited for all those years have come. And we're still waiting 2,000 plus years for his return. That we should be just the same as they are excited for Jesus Christ. But before Mary burst into song, there's a backstory. She's a young girl betrothed to a man named Joseph, and she has a visitation by an angel. And she's kind of, I guess, a little bit terrified because the angels told her, do not be afraid. And he announced to her that God's favor has come upon her, that she's the one to bear the child. And she's really, she doesn't say much. Other than, how can it be? I am a virgin. And then she, then she submits. Let it be according to your word, O Lord. I surrender to you. And, and you got a picture, a 14-year-old visit by an angel that just fully surrenders without much discussion to the plan of God for her life. She got it. She didn't say, oh, it's over my head. I can't understand it. She got it. It resonated with her spirit. And she said, God, whatever you want from me, I surrender to you. That surrender aspect of the Christian faith hasn't changed. It's as real today as it was the day that Mary uttered those words. Or Abraham or David and the others in the Old Testament. But our passage today. Hear the word of the Lord. Maybe I could try and read it from here anyway. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. 
His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down the rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months, and then they returned home. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have Mary exploding in song. I don't know if that ever happened to you. They just explode in song to the Lord. You sing the Lord a new song. And usually that new song is based on an older song that you have sung. But I love this woman theologian. She said, when Mary conceived her, her body became the innermost court of the Holy of Holies. Never before had a woman entered that holy of holy place. It was only for the priesthood. But now Mary has the God who made all things within her womb. And that becomes a holy of holy place that Mary gets to bear and gets to experience. But when we look at this song by Mary, it's actually a remix. So remixing songs is not a novelty that belongs to our generation. They've been doing it from the beginning. It's very similar to 1 Samuel chapter 2, Hannah's song. But Hannah was more like Elizabeth. She was older in age, and she experienced barrenness like Sarah and Abraham and so on in their old age. And then God blessed her womb, and she gave birth to Samuel. I'm speaking about Hannah. Now Mary takes this song that Hannah sang, and she makes it her own. That's what remixing is. You take a song, and you now make it your own. And God's going to do something new. And she begins to celebrate It's amazing that during the Jewish calendar, when they celebrate the New Year, it's called the Rosh Hashanah. And during that time, the scripture that they focus on is Hannah's song, Hannah's prayer, the experience that's going on. When the uh, Jewish calendar, when they celebrate the New Year, it's not about the calendar tick of time that turns into a new year from 2022 to 2023. It's about remembering God at creation. It's focused on God. It's not focused on the calendar year in our time. It's focused on his time and how he brought things to be. And in the Christian calendar, we have Mary's song, which is similar to Hannah's song. And that begins our new year. Our new year started at Advent. That is the new year of the Christian calendar, Advent. Not January the 1st, but the Advent season, where we're beginning to see God and flesh coming into the world in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. So the entire song is about God. God is a merciful God. God is a compassionate God. But God also comes to judge. We can't forget that. Forget that. The entire song is about God. And Mary bursts with excitement because she wants the whole world to know that Christ has fulfilled his promises. And the Messiah, the descendant of Abraham, the blessing to all nations, and the descendant of David, on whose throne shall be the Messiah, has been fulfilled in that child that she is carrying in her womb. Marvardon says that she was the humble recipient of God's exalted treasures, and she ate for everyone to share in her ecstasy. Is that our heartbeat? Is that how we feel? 
Just Christmas? Every Christmas. Is that what we feel? That we can't help but share the wonder that took place in the womb of Mary and get in line with her song and sing the song with her and say, how great is our God? How great is our God? Before she became the mother of Jesus, she became a believer in him. I like what Timothy George, as he makes this clear. Mary was a disciple of Christ before she was his mother. For had she not believed, she would not have conceived. She could have said no to the angel. We just read she said yes, but she could have said no. She still had a free will. An important concept for us to remember as well. Mary's faith, too, is not the achievement of merit, but the gift of divine grace. God found favor with Mary. His favor rested on her. His favor rested on what she was about to bring into the world at that time. See, Mary's focus was not on the scandal. That's our focus. We like to hear all the scandals that go on, whether CNN or Fox or CBC or CTV or Global News or Independent News. We like to focus on the scandal. But Mary, being that young age, she was mature. She wasn't concerned about the scandal of what the neighborhood was saying. Oh, she was betrothed to Joseph and she's pregnant, but by who? And the chatter goes through the little village of Nazareth. She wasn't concerned about that. It concerns us. Some of us are worried about the chatter that goes on in the town about us. But she wasn't concerned. She was only concerned about being submissive and obedient to the will of God. That's it. That's her primary concern. Everything in Mary resounded with praise and adoration to what God is doing through her. Granting her a place in God's saving purpose. Imagine being Mary, 14, maybe 16 and below. And you're included in God's eternal plan for all of humanity? This is mind-boggling. This is excitement. This is more than hang a, some tinsel on a Christmas tree. This is things that changes lives, that turns us around, that turns our life around, that helps us to, instead of going away from God, we're moving to God, and we're always moving to God. But at the same time, God is always moving to us. It's not about us arriving. It's about the arrival of God Almighty in our lives. So, no wonder her spirit is full of joy. Full of joy. Full of joy. And not only was she present to give birth to the child, she was also present in Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon them in that upper room. She had a steadfastness to her life as a follower of God and as the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary celebrates the freedom to be unashamed. You say, oh, she should be, un- she should be ashamed. She's pregnant, but it's not the pregnancy that we often think about. This is a holy impregnation by the Holy Spirit in which she is carrying the child God in her. She, doesn't, she knows who she's part of. She's part of the tradition of the people of Israel, the Jewish people that were promised this by their God. And even though she is young, she is happy for all generations to know their story. Are you? Are you happy for your children, your children's children, and the community and the people that we run into every day to know this story? This story, not Santa Claus, this story. That should be our prime concern as the people of God. And be joyful like she is about it. Much of Mary's song is echoed by her son's preaching. Jesus warns the rich not to trust in their wealth. 
And he promises God's kingdom to the poor. Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. To the poor they are promised. It's amazing that Jesus grew, will grow up to embody this song of Mary. A song that he probably heard many times from Mary singing in the house as he grew up. And even Jesus, the one was the rich who became poor. The word that became flesh and he moved into our neighborhood where humanity resides. Where there are limitations for him as well. Because he died a real death. He just didn't, didn't die so that he can rise in three days. He died a real death. And he did it willingly. He submitted to the will of God for all of us. And Mary's seen all that. Simeon makes clear that when Simeon sings that a sword would pierce his side. And yet she went along with the plan of God. Knowing the pain that it brought. And knowing the tragedy that it brought. But she knew it was essential to the plan of God. And we need to be reminded of that as well. So a warning. We become so comfortable with Christmas. With all the things that go around us, and that's not to be a humbug. I'm not for that. I know we decorate the home too and all that type of stuff. But we can't forget what the main point of Christmas is. That we got to keep in line. Christ's coming is not only a promise, but a threat to the powers that be. I don't care who's the mightiest in the world today. Russia thinks they are. America thinks they are. But sneaky China might be the powerful of them all. But that's okay with us because we're not concerned about the powers that be because when God's kingdom comes fully, there'll be an upside down effect taking place that the powerful are brought low. And Mary brings that up in her song. She believes in a God that is on the move. She believes in a God that is reordering the world according to his will and God that was about to bring in a new world for those under oppression by foreign rule. Can you perceive that? Can you see it? Can you see what God is doing and about to do? Mary's God is the God of reversals. That's what chapter 1, 52, 53 of her song, as I read it again. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. Anyone that is oppressing another human being... Look out, your day is coming. Anyone is trying to make a slave of a human being, we have human trafficking going on and prostitution and addiction and all that type of stuff. Watch out, your day is coming. There's going to be an overtone. There's going to be a place where the mighty are going to be brought low. That's what Mary is singing about and that's what Hannah sang about. So despite what we read in the newspaper, despite what we hear on our news channels, God is doing something new in our midst. Our main role is, can you perceive it? Can you understand what he's doing? Instead of being caught up in the scandal, in the negativity, in the pessimism that circles in the gossip columns of our daily village life, we need to be focused on what God has promised us and keep that promise not only in our, in our readings but in our hearts that there is an upheaval coming up in the near future. Mary expresses raw thankfulness for what the arrival of Jesus means for the liberation of the oppressed people. She uses language that reflects triumph, not defeat. Everybody says the church is dying, the church is, is, is dwindling away, and, and there won't be another generation. It's not your church, it's not my church, it's his church. Do we trust him for the future or not? That's in our hands. And to work as if he's coming right now. 
Right now, when we read those words, in a blinking of an eye. That's how quick that can happen, that Christ could appear again and the world be turned around into how he designed it to be. Do we believe that? It's a call for justice. It's a call to get our act together. Mary's song is no lullaby. It's no rock, my baby, on the treetop. That's not what she's singing about. It's a political treatise put to music. Mary was the ancient protest singer. How many of us remember the old protest singers? Pete Seeger, Peter, Paul, and Mary, right? Jody Collins, Buffy St. Marie, all protest singers, leading marches, protesting in the 60s, in the 70s, and Peter, going, Peter Seeger going even behind. If you don't remember that, maybe you grew up with some rap music. Maybe it was Public Enemy singing, fight the power, don't believe the hype, or run DMC, or Rage Against the Machine, protest music against the powers that be that are abusing people, abusing the nations, and trying to take control of human beings. And they're singing and protest to that. Mary was a protest singer. In other words, she's saying what Moses said, let my people free, so that they may worship the God of heaven and earth, the God who created all things. Or we sang up with that old song that says, We shall overcome, we shall overcome, we shall overcome someday. Deep in my heart, I do believe we shall overcome someday. Do you believe that? The same attitude that Mary had, someday. We shall overcome. We are not part of the defeated church. We are part of the victorious because of what Christ has accomplished for us. Mary and her cousin shared a dream, writes the person. It was the ancient dream of Israel. The dream that one day all the prophets had said would come true. One day Israel's God will do what he said to Israel's earliest ancestor. All nations will be blessed through Abraham's family. But for that to happen, the powers that kept the world in slavery had to be toppled. Nobody will normally thank God for blessing if they were poor or hungry, enslaved or miserable. God will have to win a victory over the bullies, over the power brokers, over the forces of evil, which people like Mary and Elizabeth knew all too well. Whether it was Egyptians, whether it was the Babylonians, whether it was the Persians, whether it was the Medes, whether it was the Romans who occupied that place of Judea at that time, they will have to be toppled for their brutality, for their oppression upon other humanity. Mary and Elizabeth, like many Jews at the time, searched the scriptures, soaked themselves in the Psalms and prophetic writings which spoke of mercy, hope, fulfillment, reversal, revolution, victory over evil. When Jesus died, he said, it is finished. And you sing a song unto the Lord, for he has defeated the powers that be. He has defeated evil. He has defeated even the reign of Satan. And that's why Jesus can say, Satan, get behind me. Because it's Jesus that's leading humanity to the place where God has assigned it to go. This is what's in the heart of Mary. This is Christmas. Not what John Lennon sang. This is Christmas. And she said, let it be. And that's not what Paul McCartney sang, but what Mary sang. Let it be according to your word. Wow. Such a young girl. They said, young people can't get it. Mary got it. Mary sang about it. 
Mary lived it out. And she poured her heart into this song, a song of praise to the Lord. So this Advent Christmas season, is there a new song within your heart? Is there a song that you could remix for yourself to personally apply to you, to, to exhibit, to stress, to be a metaphor, a symbol for your victory that Christ has given you and to enjoy it in the coming days? The God who comes... <coughs> To mend the broken world. The song of Mary calls us to join God in his reordering of the world and to be joyful about it. See, Advent holds pain and rejoicing together. We try to separate it. I can't be happy because I'm full of pain, right? Or when I am happy, that means my life's okay. But Mary has joy exploding in her heart. In the midst of pain, in the midst of scandal, in the midst of gossiping people about her lifestyle and so on, which they had no clue what was going on in her life. But she joins these two elements in her song about pain and about rejoicing, and she sings it with all her heart. Luke, our gospel for today is a joyful gospel. At least he uses it the the word joy more than any other's. But his joy, the joy of the Lord, the joy of Mary, is not precisely what is packaged to us in this time of season. It's a holly jolly Christmas. It's a ho-ho Christmas. That's not Mary's song. Mary's song is a song of assurance, a song of deep faith, a deep understanding of what God's promises are and what God's fulfillment are in time and history. A joy that understands the price of pain and says yes anyway. That's a good way to answer the Lord. You know, I can't follow the Lord now. I'm full of pain. I'm full of addiction. It doesn't matter. Come to the Lord just as you are. Isn't that what we used to sing? Come to the Lord just as you are and let him take over what needs to be fixed in you or corrected in you or healed in you. Let him do it. When we sing during this Christmas season, I think we need to remember it's not about singing a lullaby. It's about singing a radical protest song that came from the heart of the one that God found favor with to bear the Messiah. And how she expressed it in her time and place. I mean, we got a lot of excuses for why we can't do what God has called us to do. But they're nothing compared to what Mary had to live in in her time. Under power by the Romans. Looked down upon because she was a woman and not a man. Looked down upon the the neighbors, the villagers, the people that lived next door to her because they're trying to figure out how in the heck is she pregnant if, if it's not Joseph. All those things and more. And yet she resounded with praise for her God. I think that's a good lesson for us, don't you? It's a good lesson for us to be reminded of that. You know, there's that Christmas song that we sing, Do You Hear What I Hear? (laughs) Do You See What I See? Maybe this time, as we sing those songs during the season or hear them, we have to say, did I hear what Mary heard? Did I see what Mary saw? Was I obedient like Mary was obedient? Was I submissive like Mary was submissive? Did I say, Lord, let it be? (laughs) According to your word, do whatever you want, Lord. I'm yours. 
Take me whole, mind, soul, strength. I'm all yours, Lord. I lay it down at the foot of the cross. I am yours, Lord. And I'm waiting for your return. I'm full of of a spirit of excitement that one day I'm going to just wake up and there I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. And whether that's before a second coming or not, that's irrelevant. Because whether it happens at that time or it happens when I have to leave this world, it's okay. Take me, Lord. I lived a good life. I've seen your hand of deliverance. I've seen you turn me from a person selling drugs and running gambling houses. And the night before I, I came to church on the Sunday morning following a snorting cocaine on a table. And then I went to celebrate the Lord's Supper. It's all because of your grace, Lord. Not because of me. He turned my life upside down. I understand, Mary. I understand, Mary. Do you? Do you? See, we got an image Mary's song is no lullaby. The baby in the, in the crib, in the manger, has a mantle. A mantle of judgment against evil. Against those that don't pay attention to his will. But I'll close with this. I once heard about a woman who had, in spite of a hard life, of virtually no resources except her stamina, and the strength of her faith raised six fine children and sent them all to college. Asked how she did it, she replied, I saw a new world coming. That's what Mary saw. I saw, how could she live through pain and scandal and gossip? She saw a new world coming. Do you? Let us pray as the people come. Get ready to sing the last song. Father, as we come before you this day, this Advent season, this passage from Mary that is part of the lectionary for for the Advent Christmas season. And sometimes we can read it, you know, my soul rejoices in God, my Savior, my soul magnifies the Lord. And Lord, we don't get it, but I pray that we will get it this year. And like that mother that sent her children through college, she said, I see a new world coming, a better day coming. May we see that day, this Advent, O oh Lord. Because that's what it's all about. Us waiting with patience and peace and joy and love and hope for that day that we will see you face to face. And Lord, we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of salvation for all to believe, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. And we are recipients of that glorious grace, your divine favor upon us all. Would you awaken our spiritual eyes to see you, our spiritual ears to hear you, and our spiritual wills to submit to you. This day we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen and amen.